0: This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hello and welcome to Give and Toad Cannabis Conversations, the show that aims to elevate the conversation about cannabis to a higher level. I'm your host, Paul, and today I'm joined by Jesse Lavoie from Toba Grown. Jesse is a man who is taking on the Manitoba government to fight for the individual right to be able to grow four cannabis plants at home, as dictated by the Federal Cannabis Act. Unfortunately, both the Manitoba and Quebec provincial governments have declined this aspect of the Cannabis Act, and Jesse is putting a constitutional challenge to the Manitoba government to justify why this law is in place, and hopefully to repeal it. We talked to Jesse today about what inspired him to start this fight, the state of the fight, how long it has taken, how much money he has spent, and some of the supporters and opponents of this cause. He's doing some incredible work fighting for individual rights and also creating some really impressive cannabis products to help fundraise for charity. Jesse is an awesome dude, this cause is incredible and I'm so grateful to have him on the show today. If you like what you hear, please follow us at GivenToke on Instagram and support the show by leaving us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple, or just tell a friend. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Jesse Lavoie from Toba Grown. Now, you grew up wanting to be a police officer, you became a corrections officer and a member of the Canadian Army Reserve. Did you ever expect to be taking your own government to the Supreme Court?
1: No, uh, not at all. They were signing my checks one day, and uh, now we're looking across the table in a courtroom. It's pretty wild stuff, man. And I think the first thing we need to do is clarify what the deal with this whole four plants is. Could you explain that? Absolutely. So the federal government of Canada legalized recreational cannabis in 2018. Part of that was allowing citizens who are 18 years or older to grow four plants recreationally. So that, that's similar to like making your own beer, making your own alcohol. The federal government allowed us to grow four plants to harvest and smoke or whatever we're going to do with it at our own leisure. In Manitoba and Quebec, which are provinces in um, in Canada, similar to like states and United States, two of them out of everyone else decided, you know what? No, we're not going to allow it. We're going to ban that federal right. And if you grow one plant, you get a $2,500 fine and you can have your house seized, you could have all your equipment seized, you can go to jail. There's all these things that our provincial government has put into place, and I've never liked bullies. I mean, I can get into how it all started. I'm sure you're going to ask that, but that's the clarity around the four plants. I really appreciate that, and it must be kind of
0: infuriating for you to know that just merely across the border, other states or other provinces are looking at this Cannabis Act and are honoring that. You know, I lived in British Columbia. I was able to grow my four plants. I'm not even a Canadian citizen. Yet here we have Manitoba and Quebec kind of really putting their foot down and saying, no, we're not going to honor that. So you alluded to it. What did start this fight for you? What inspired you to take on the government?
1: So at the time in 2018, I was working for a uh, company called Namaste. Uh, It was a up-and-coming cannabis company. And when I saw this ban go into place, I went to my boss. I was like, we got to do something about this. And they're like, no, we don't got time. And then when I went to Canopy Growth to work there, it was a similar, no, we don't want to get involved. Then I just decided when I resigned from Canopy Growth that I was just going to do this myself. I went lawyer shopping. I talked to about 20 different lawyers, got quotes, got notes on what they thought our chances would be, our angles we should take. And I settled on two very good lawyers, and we we launched the, the lawsuit two and a half years ago now. It's been a long time. And now we probably have another year and a half left until it's done.
0: This is a true David versus Goliath story, and I've listened to other podcasts you've been on. And you really do talk about the fact that anyone can take on the government, anyone can take them to court, but it costs a lot of money to do. Now, last time I checked, about a year ago, you'd spent 62 grand on this fight so far, and... I'm sure you've got much more to go. Where do things stand right now with the, the financial burden of this fight?
1: Yeah, nail on the head. They they say it's an open system where you can challenge and whatnot. But uh, over the last two and a half years, we've just touched $107,000 Canadian spent on this. Wow. And we still have one more appeal to go. So that can go up by another 30%. That's because we have a strong case. Now, if we didn't have a Strong case, and we're trying to build a whole new precedent. The bills would have been way higher than that. So, because we have federal legality on our side, we, you know, we'll call it the easy road, but it's <laughs> <laughs> still a very hard road. So
0: basically, yeah, anyone can go to court. Anyone can take on their government as long as they've got a few hundred grand spare.
1: Yes, and good lawyers. And I'm an absolute pit bull when it comes to budgets. So my lawyer is going to test that they probably wanted to charge more, <laughs> but there's no way I was going to. Oh man, it's such a worthy
0: fight and it's just so interesting, you know, I've watched you pretty much since day one and it's infuriated me from the outside looking at what you have to go through to put this fight to the government and to fight against the opinions and the, the research that's being used to fight against you. What seems to be the case against your fight? Why have they said no in the first place? And why are they pushing back on you asking for it?
1: So they're using arguments from 20 years ago in the case that the federal government was taken to court over medical growing. There's five things. Uh, They don't want children to eat it. They don't want the lights to burn down your house. They don't want the humidity from the plants to cause mold. They want to ensure you have quality cannabis, nothing growing in it or anything that's going to hurt you like heavy metals. And they're worried people are going to grow their own plants and sell into the black market. Now, all of these arguments were destroyed in the Supreme Court 20 years ago by one of my lawyers, uh, Kirk Tussaw, and the federal government allowed medical growing. Now, Manitoba and Quebec are using those same arguments, which have already been defeated, to back up their case on the recreational side this is
0: something we continue to see in cannabis. No matter how many new good ideas come out, no matter how much research is done, no matter how many reasonable people and professionals and experts say otherwise, people will still cling to the old bad ideas. Now, Manitoba is a relatively small state. It's got a population of about 1.4 million. Why do they think they know something that the rest of Canada doesn't?
1: Well, <laughs> I have a lot of unprofessional responses to that but <laughs> I think there's still a lot of stigma here. It's a uh, Older province in this, in the sense of a lot of our government and whatnot are still stuck in their old ways. Uh, it's a conservative government running here right now. You know, we may see a government change in next fall when we have our election. I think it's just instilled dislike for cannabis, and the people in power are the ones who have that. Far too often, we continue to learn that it really is
0: a, it's a power issue. The conservative ideals are really protecting this. You know, it's the true definition of conservatism, conserve what they've already got, yet the rest of Canada is forging ahead and the sky hasn't fallen in. What have you kind of learned about the legal process? I'm sure it's been quite a frustrating experience.
1: Yes, it's, it's not as easy as you think you got a good argument and that's it. You, you need to prepare for every loophole they may throw at you, every little technicality you want to back up your points and you want to back up your backups with more points obviously the time that this is taken is probably twice as long as i thought it would be and i'm not going to point fingers but our our opponents have really dragged their feet on every process from submitting briefs to submitting affidavits to scheduling court these are tactics that my opponent is using to try to persuade me to give this up but it's not going to happen um Obviously, the financial part is something that's uh, quite frustrating as well. But on the positive, the community support and how cannabis businesses, local influencers, local cannabis community have all come together. And when it comes down to this topic, they're all grow. They back us up. We have the other three government parties all on our side. It's really overwhelming how much support we have. So there's some positives and negatives. That's really incredible because I look at some of the supporters you have, like Dr. Daniel Baer,
0: professor of criminal justice, Dr. Neil Boyd from the school of criminology at SFU, Jamie Shaw, who's a very prominent cannabis activist, and political parties are on your side. It does kind of feel like a no brainer that this will work out, but it does continue to take a toll on you and it does continue to challenge you and cost you money. What's been the personal experience like for you to go up against the government like this practically as an individual to be taking on your government to be taking on all these very staunch opponents how has that impacted you personally
1: oh i definitely got a target on my back now from uh people you normally wouldn't want to have a target on you i'm callous now the first six months it was quite a bumpy ride and lots being thrown at us from our opponents and now you know i got a very strong circle of support in my family and my friends and now it's just Keep getting in the ring and keep throwing down until we get an answer in a legal sense (laughs) (laughs) you know what
0: if it keeps dragging on maybe it will have to get to a literal (laughs) in the ring sense but uh, i hope for everyone's sake that this kind of gets sorted out sooner rather than later but as you said it is taking far longer than you could have anticipated so keep up that good fight You alluded to a potential change of government. I noticed that there's even been a change of premier during the time of your fight. Has that made a difference to your case for better or
1: worse? So it's interesting. The first premier, Brian Pallister, who was in when I launched the lawsuit, he was the one who decided that this ban needs to go into place. And he elected uh, Heather Stephenson to write the ban. And Heather Stephenson is now the new premier. So I went from, our head opponent being the, the guy who wanted it to now the, the female premier who wrote it. Whoa. So uh, no, there's been no change in. Uh... <laughs> That's pretty devastating
0: actually. You know, that that just shows the personal ownership over these fights sometimes. If anything, that's almost the last person that should be the representative that you're fighting against, like the author of it. They've got such a personal attachment to it and have put so much work into it. Their work and their life has gone into it, so why would they want to let you get away with it? I imagine that's actually become even harder to deal with.
1: Yes, it's uh, it's quite interesting and you know she's been quoted many times saying, "We're confident in our case. We'll defend it till the end." Yeah. That her lawyers have caused so many delays in submitting documents and whatnot that it's, it's actually pushed us a little behind the Quebec case. But we're, we're still there. Where are you at currently with these efforts?
0: You know, you've said that there's been some dragging of feet. There's probably another year and a half to go. What's the state of the case right now? You know, what, what have been your kind of wins along the way? Where have you still got to go?
1: So we've had uh, two days in court now uh, in the Supreme Court with the Quebec case and here at home in Queen's Bench. The, the, the stage we're at now is waiting for both the Quebec Supreme Court and the uh, Manitoba Queen's bench to read their rulings. And then the final battle will be the Manitoba Appeal Court, which likely will probably hear something from the Supreme Court. This is a guess that my lawyers and I have, but probably March, April. And then the Manitoba judge will rule shortly after that. And then it'll be another six month build up to an appeal where there will be probably another six to 12 months till we get that verdict. So it's just uh, just checking boxes. There
0: seems to be a concerning legal precedent that will be set if you don't win this case. I'm sure there are people waiting for your victory to set a precedent, but is the inverse possible? Like if you lose this, could there be damning knock-on effects for the rest of Canada, for Manitoba? What could happen if you don't win?
1: So if we don't win, there's, there is a precedent for the for provincial governments to take any federal right and ban it. Wow. That's what they've done with this ban, and that's what I'm fighting against. And now if they have multiple judges who say, yeah, that's okay, then it's okay for them to do that. It's always
0: one of the kind of big risks of taking on fights like this, but that would be very concerning if that were to happen. But, you know, every reasonable person that's looking at what your fight says, all the supporters you have, all the arguments for, and all the right things you're doing, even while the other side is dragging their feet and being difficult, is testament to the kind of righteousness of your case. We know that the law doesn't always protect people who are right all the time. But I do feel really good about your case and do thank you for fighting this fight for the people of Manitoba, the people of Quebec, and just the general people of Canada. I was so blessed to spend time in Canada, experience the Cannabis Act, work in the industry, see all the potential that is there, all the enthusiasm and excitement. But even somewhere like Canada that people like to think is a bit of a cannabis utopia is still subject to unreasonable laws, unreasonable expectations, and impositions on its citizens. You know, Four years into legalization, there's a hell of a long way to go. So you know, while people in the stores are probably complaining about packaging or labeling, you're here spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to take on the government. So I'm wondering, what makes you so passionate about cannabis that makes this fight worthwhile for you? It is worthwhile for the people of Manitoba, but Jesse, you are taking on such a burden for yourself. What is your relationship with cannabis? Why is this so important to you.
1: So you mentioned earlier that um, my whole life I wanted to be a police officer and I took certain steps in the army and uh, as a prison guard to to get there. And on my last shift as a prison guard, I was involved in a very violent uh, incident, which had lost a life in it. And um, I suffered physical injuries and uh, PTSD. And uh, cannabis was my miracle drug for me. And it helped uh, both on the physical and the mental side. I transitioned from using it medically to recreationally and I absolutely love the plant, and I hate the stigma that goes against it. And I always wondered what that's like
0: because people like to believe that everyone in Canada is pro-cannabis, but did you grow up in Manitoba? Is that, is that the environment you grew up in with those conservative ideals that do stigmatize cannabis?
1: Oh, absolutely. I was born and raised in Manitoba here. Um, I traveled for work um, for multiple years, but always had a home here. And uh, it's very, it's always been slow, non-progressive, close-minded thinking here. Uh, in manitoba just to clarify
0: yeah that's definitely a big thing to go up against i think a lot of people kind of visit vancouver and visit the west coast and see liberal progressive politics and ideals generally and think that that's representative of the whole country but like anywhere it's a rich tapestry of different ideas and values and backgrounds and expectations there's 40 million people there with 40 million stories so definitely got a long way to go to challenge those ideals but you're doing the right work man I want to talk about tober grown and Toba rolls and things like that, but to break up the conversation, I'm wondering if you might be interested in a quick little rapid fire quiz. How do you feel about that? Let's go for it. All right, let's do this thing. Indica, sativa or hybrid? Hybrid. Flower or edibles? Flower. Joints or blunts? Joints. Bongs or pipes? Bongs. Who's going to win a Stanley Cup first, the Winnipeg Jets or the Ottawa Senators? Winnipeg Jets. Manitoba grown or BC Bud? <laughs> Manitoba grown all day. Favorite cannabis product right now?
1: Uh, it's probably got to be one that's not Toba grown, would be Natural Earth Eye of the Tiger pre roll. Favorite place to consume?
0: Uh, my shed. Best Munchie snack?
1: Well, it's got to be Brogies. And describe your perfect 420. Perfect 420 would be looking at my four plants while having a nice coffee and a smoke.
0: Man, that sounds absolutely
1: delightful. Moving on
0: to your work with Toba Rolls. My understanding is that you're doing some great work fundraising. You've developed this syndicate with different brands and different producers in Manitoba to make something
1: very special. Let's talk about Toba Rolls. Absolutely. So it all started when um, I launched Rolls as a product and that was Canada's first not-for-profit pre-roll where we would use the profits from it to both fuel our legal bills which are continuing to climb and to donate to five local and national charities. So these products were launched in Manitoba and have been doing very well since. The thing with them is I had to send the flour out of Manitoba to be processed into containers And then shipped back to all the dispensaries. And that's what led to my idea to launch the Rolling Syndicate, which is uniting all the smaller, they're called LPs, licensed producers in Manitoba, all the local guys coming together and letting myself run a team inside their buildings to package all of their products, all at the same time, bringing rolls back to Manitoba, where I'm packaging it myself now. And This started with uh, four brands that wanted to get involved. We've now grown to 13, and we we're almost the, the largest distributor in Manitoba now.
0: That's amazing, man.
1: I imagine you're putting out some pretty good stuff. I've seen some pretty
0: impressive things. What are some of the products you've been releasing?
1: On the Topa Grown side, we've launched Topa Rolls, which has lemon cream cake in it, and Topa jars. The joke is, we call them Topa jars, but they're actually in a pouch. Some people (laughs) think it's kind of stupid, but we think it's really funny. And that's vanilla ice cream cake in there. Uh, We have some really cool stuff like Panda Puff coming out, Insane in the membrane. Those are all in the not-for-profit side. And then... All the other brands we work with, their local businesses, for-profit. And last month alone, we we moved 150 kilos uh, through our distribution. That's
0: really impressive, man. So you mentioned that there's the not-for-profit side. Where are these funds going? What are you helping raise money for?
1: So we pledged the first 25,000 profits, uh, which we've raised about 15,000 so far, go to uh, five charities. There's the Manitoba Métis Heritage Fund, the True North Aid, which helps Indigenous children up north, Harvest Manitoba, which helps feed the homeless here, Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, which is uh, building houses for the, the homeless here, and uh, Seth Rogan Hilarity for Charity. Uh, that's an Alzheimer's charity. That's really
0: impressive, man. A really broad range of causes there, but things that are very important to Canadians. Even to have two charities there that are contributing to supporting indigenous communities and first nations communities why is it important to include the indigenous perspective the first nations perspective and support those communities when it comes to cannabis
1: uh the indigenous communities here they're they're longstanding obviously they're the founders of of canada they they have a very large population where i live and there's they're filled with amazing people and these are causes that are you know have been underfunded for a long time and we're happy to do all we can to help with that very cool, man. And, and I do
0: understand that generally speaking, I know here in Australia, Indigenous communities are disproportionately represented in prisons, arrests and charges and things like that. So it's important to support the communities that are suffering the consequences of these drug wars, these older laws, these outdated ideals, and kind of lift them up. Mad props to you for that, man. That's that's really, really great. Thank you. I'd like to know more about some of the producers that are involved in the syndicate. Who are some of these brands?
1: Keith Cannabis and Natural Earth, there are two flagship partners, our original partners. They came from Legacy, so the kind of the gray market to the legal market when things opened up. Uh, we have Cypress Craft and Alicanto. They're uh, more rural micro-grows here in Manitoba. They grow out of shipping containers. We also have three of the largest out-of-town brands, so out-of-province brands in Manitoba. Two of them are from Ontario. One is from B.C., and then on top of that, we've we've layered on um, more of the local brands and we have two more that just signed that I can't announce yet, but they're also very large out of province brands. And these are all independent companies. So no publicly traded money, one or two owners. It's not like a big organization. It's just very good at growing weed. And in my opinion, and the opinion of a lot of people here in Manitoba is our portfolio of brands is, is only fire. We, we have very good product and the thing that sets us apart in manitoba is we deliver next day to the stores so now i'm going to go down a rabbit hole but here in manitoba when you're a dispensary you have to buy through the government portal and the second you press buy the money is taken out of your bank account and then the licensed producer has up to six weeks to ship it to you and then on the very last day they can cancel it which is another week until you get your money back so you can go seven weeks with your money gone and then potentially getting no product That happens a lot in Manitoba because we have such a small population. But with the Rolling Syndicate, we have two locations, uh, one in in Winnipeg, the capital, one in Selkirk, the second largest city, and we deliver next day. So if a dispensary orders, they're getting it the next day, which means they can turn the product over and get their money back, which in this um, oversaturated market, that's very beneficial because money's tight. So that's how we've been able to make such a big name for ourselves so quickly.
0: Wow, man, that's definitely not a rabbit hole. That's incredibly interesting because I know that each province in Canada has a slightly different way of dealing with it. But I was not aware that the power was so much in the producer's hands to then take that long to produce and then also have the potential to cancel. Like my only personal experience is with the BC Liquor Distribution Board. And, you know, still has all its floors and their massive warehouses full of dry cannabis. But there wasn't that kind of issue. You know, you ordered, you had it within three to four days and now they're doing direct producer sales as well. So there is movement there. I wasn't aware that Manitoban dispensary owners were at that much of a disadvantage. So I guess another testament to the great work you're doing, man, to be able to turn it around within 24 hours is incredibly important because... There are lots of little guys in Canada going up against, you know, the the Budweiser's, the cause, the Molson's of cannabis. I mean, literally and figuratively. So it's really great to see that the little guys like you are finding ways to be innovative and finding ways to be effective, even when you're up against them. Man, you are massively a David versus all these Goliaths.
1: I'm really impressed. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And nail on the head, we We've come together and you know we've we've formed a fist we're not individual fingers anymore we're we're a team we we love all the dispensers we work with and yeah we got a little family going on here
0: it leads me to some questions that are kind of general about our conversation people talk a lot about the cannabis community i've had good and bad experiences with that expression i think it's great to find allies and it's great to work with people But not everyone is always on our side. You know, we might both consume cannabis but have completely different values and ideals. One of the things I noticed that you face pushback for and a bit of blowback for is your link to working for licensed producers in the past and at the time working for Canopy Growth. What was it like to face some of that criticism? Like separate to this fight, you're a guy who needs to pay the bills and feed his family, yet you were facing criticism for working
1: in this industry and fighting this fight.
0: What was that like?
1: That was a very interesting time. It's really subdued now that I'm doing this full-time for rolling. But yeah, during that time, because I was working for the the Budweiser of of cannabis while suing a government, it's kind of a interesting dynamic. And I did take some heat for working for the Budweiser, but at the same time, I needed to pay the bills. I loved what I did there. I ran stores in vehicle across North America. That's the the volcano with the balloon on top. It's 24 years old, that product. And I led the distribution. We did $40 million my second year there, uh, $25 million the first year. And then I resigned on my third year to come do rolling full-time. Yeah, it's, I guess, because I was working for such a big corporation that uh, I was part of the problem in their eyes.
0: I do find that so often, you know, there are many, many reasons to align with people, but Often in some of these progressive causes, we find the points of difference rather than the points of alignment. You had bills to pay, a family to feed, completely legit. And as you explained at the start of this episode, Canopy didn't want to be part of that fight. You know, for better or worse, that was their position. Like, no, no, we're too busy. This is entirely your fight. So good on you for persisting through that. And on a note of stores and Bickle, in Australia... Our medical cannabis can only legally be consumed through vaporizers and the stores in Bickle vaporizers are the Therapeutic Goods Association approved vapes here. So our listeners ears would have pricked up a little bit there because the the Mighty and the Volcano are definitely pretty big here.
1: Yeah, I, I don't want to get too much into that, but I, I was definitely a part of the the team that helped launch in, in Australia there. And we absolutely were so thrilled that the, that got approved and on the medical side those products you can drop them on the floor and they're still good to go and easy to clean easy to work with great taste and really amazing team all out of germany so it's brings back a lot of memories uh talking about that those products
0: yeah people like to scoff at the price tag of products like that but with european engineering you truly get what you pay for
1: for sure i mean you can buy one for 25 percent of the the price you may be inhaling some overheated battery fumes uncertified plastic You'd be buying another one in a year or two, or you can spend the extra money and get the the Cadillac that's medically approved. You know nothing's going to happen. And it's not the sexiest looking thing, but it's built to work. Yeah, that's a great
0: point. And, and as a side note, this is not a sponsored advertisement, but both of us definitely are very much approved this product. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. You mentioned the $2,542 fine per plant for growing in Manitoba. Do
1: you know anybody that has received this fine? Um, no one has received it yet. And a big reason for that is it's, it's keeping it a scare tactic. And if you were to get the fine, you could appeal it in a less monetary restricting way, appealing a ticket versus launching a constitutional challenge. Those are two very different things. And that's why, they, uh, in my opinion, no one's been charged with it yet. The Quebec ban has been labeled
0: unconstitutional is there any movement in Quebec? I know you alluded to the fact that if these delays keep going in Manitoba, you're going to fall behind them. Where's the fight at there?
1: So we joined that fight about 10 months ago. And currently, we we went in front of the um, Supreme Court. That whole, the whole Quebec side is being led by Max and his team. Uh, we were there to support. That case is, is just waiting for the judges to read their decision. And then that will be uh, the final uh, decision for Quebec. And that decision will have a lot of precedent and weight in Manitoba's continued battle.
0: It's, uh, it's definitely a really interesting fight. And I'm really glad that there's a lot of quality cannabis around for you to consume whilst you wait for these guys to come to the table. You know, you've got to take the silver linings where you can.
1: For sure. Absolutely.
0: Well, Jesse, I'm really grateful for your time today and we're keeping it relatively short because I also think this is an ongoing cause and I think it would be great to catch up again down the line and see where things are at and hopefully celebrate your victory when we get to that stage. But as we come to the tail end of the episode, there's a segment called Paul's of Wisdom and this is where you offer a snappy dinner party fact that the average person needs to know about cannabis. So you're there at the dinner table, someone says something crappy about cannabis or has a question for you. What's one thing you'd want them to take away from that conversation?
1: I'm on the spot. I actually don't know what to say right now. Um, if you're looking to breed your uh, your cannabis plants, you don't need um, music, candles, or anything like that. You just need to put a male and a female in a plant, give the male a shake, and the pollen will uh, infect the female. And instead of getting that beautiful bud that we love to smoke, you'll get a lot of seeds. Right on. That is very practical advice. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: well thank you so much for your time today jesse it's an incredibly important fight where can our listeners
1: find you online to keep an eye on what you're doing so we're on all social media platforms under toba Grown, toba Grown, and um, i just want to say you're a fantastic host i really appreciate you reaching out so let's definitely do this again when we, when, uh, we have an update on this end
0: jesse lavoy from toba Grown, thanks so much for being on the show thank you so much Give & Toke Cannabis Conversations is written and produced by me, Paul, music written and produced by Big Mike. Follow us on Instagram at Give & or get in touch by emailing giveandtoke at gmail.com. You'll also find us on Twitter and Facebook. All opinions expressed by program guests are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of Give & Toke. Content discussed in this show does not constitute medical or legal advice. Cannabis is not legal everywhere, so please be aware of local laws.